There we go. They should be able to hear me. You should be able to hear me. I think you could hear me without this, but it's nice to have it uh, anyhow. A um, couple of things. One, I'm so excited about doing Holy Week with you guys. We have not been able to be in person um, for the past two years for Holy Week. Uh, we did do, we were able to do Easter together, barely. That was one of those where we were at the point where most of our family uh, wasn't able to be here. And uh, this year, we are still at low, so there's a really good chance that we'll have a lot of our family here for Easter. I'm very excited about that. I'm also very excited about us doing Tenebrae. Um, also, I love the fact that Maida got up here and sang. I, I understand why you were scared that Maida got up here and sang, um, but I'm, I'm fairly sure it made a bunch of people online very happy. It made me very happy. Um, not just because she got up here, but because specifically she got up there, grabbed that microphone, was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Nope. She just took advantage of the fact it was there, and it wasn't even there for her. It was there actually for the Glaze daughters. By the way, Natalie, you brought, I say Natalie, I didn't see those earlier. Um, you've now reshaped the way I view church. Um, I, they ate a chip, and I was like, chips at church sounds amazing. I didn't care. No, it wasn't the noisy. I don't know if anybody else heard it or not. All I thought was, I love chips when I'm, I'm like, uh, like I, do, I did training for my chaplaincy job like two weeks ago. I had a bag of chips with me. Uh, there's a really good chance next week for Easter, everybody's going to have chips. So if you have like something, I, I was like, I want chips and I want them right now. So you, so you were, was that you, Ellen, were you saying yes? Yeah. <laughs> so if you are watching online, I don't know that you heard this, but like half the church is now like, yeah, chips in church sounds pretty good. Uh, the only thing that might be better would be uh, freshly made popcorn with butter on it. I don't know that we can use the kitchen. So... We are, we're, it's Palm Sunday, we're reading through this, and your daughters were going to help me with something, and they were excited about that, but they apparently were more excited about going back there. Well, it, I don't need them, they wanted to help, so, okay, then why don't you get her, especially since it's her birthday tomorrow, so, um, we're going to be reading through uh, the uh, 19th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, starting at, uh, at the end, at verse 28, if I remember correctly. Charlie, you're going to operate that for me, right? Thank you, sir. If you'll pull that up, because it's 28, I believe, through 40. There we go. Thank you. So, it'll appear behind me. It is on the bulletins also. Joe, are you ready to help me in just a little bit? Okay. Here's what I need you to do. Before I start reading Scripture, I need you to go grab the palm leaves. I need you to give everyone here a palm leaf. By the way, I looked it up. To the best of my knowledge, they are not poisonous to humans or dogs. So, the way it was described, and I looked at several websites while church was going on, while I was thinking chips would be really good, and the way it was described was, while the leaves are not edible, they are not poisonous. So, this is not an encouragement for your little ones to eat the leaves. But if they do eat the leaves, you do not need to apparently automatically induce vomiting. So hear this as I am not encouraging you to let your child eat a palm leaf. What I did discover is there are certain fruits and seeds that come from palm trees that are poisonous, but the leaves are apparently not. So this, if you're watching a video, this was an important discussion, discussion here. So... 
there will be a time for you to wave these. Has everybody gotten one? Oh, except for me. Thank you. I need that. Okay. This is what the word of the Lord says. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage in Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Thank you, ladies, by the way. Those, uh, who have sent, uh, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. This is what they said. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and, in heaven and glory in the highest. Would you please say that with me and wave your palm. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Would you say it again with me, please? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And say it one more time with me, please. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And we're going to say it one more time since I butchered it that last time. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You may put this down and keep it for later. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, we are in, I have to move this. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I chopped my notes in half earlier today, uh, which is never a good thing. But we are in Holy Week, okay? It's the beginning of Holy Week. It's Palm Sunday. It's the first day that we really begin to focus on this. And then Monday, Thursday will come, which is traditionally the day where we remember the Lord's Supper. Uh, if, if it was a normal time for us, what we as a church would normally do, this is what we've done for years, is we would provide the meal for the place of peace, Place of Peace is not going on right now. Uh, I keep on checking. It will uh, start up again, but it is not going on right now. But we would typically provide the meal for the Place of Peace. Why? Because what better way to remember the Lord's Supper than to provide supper for others? And then Good Friday happens. On Good Friday, we gather together and we remember the crucifixion. We remember the death of our Lord. And then Holy Saturday happens. And Holy Saturday is just a time where you just sit. And then finally, Resurrection Sunday happens. It's a great week. It's supposed to be a joyous week. There's a reason I'm going to bring chips next week. It's because Saturday or Sunday is supposed to be this day of celebration. Uh, if we were a more formal church, we would be a church where the ladies would dress up and wear hats, and the men, we would all wear our suits and ties, which we might not have anymore. Uh, I have to have a suit because I'm a pastor, and I have my wedding and funeral suit, okay? That's what I, I wear... It is one suit that I wear for your wedding and your funeral, okay? And, and I didn't do your wedding, so I didn't wear that suit to your wedding. So there you go. Uh, but guys, 
we don't have those suits anymore, but we would typically dress up. I may actually buy a hat, like I, I may buy a spiffy hat to wear next Sunday. We get together to celebrate. But today was a day of celebration too. It was Palm Sunday where people were excited about the fact that the Lord was coming in. And He was coming in to Jerusalem specifically to celebrate the Passover. Now, I, I believe most of us in the room know about the Passover, but just in case you don't, because you never know, the Passover was this remembrance that is still central to Judaism. It is still the central story. It is still the central dynamic. And because of the fact it's still central to Judaism, it's central to the way we understand Jesus. On Palm Sunday, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem to prepare to celebrate the remembrance of the Passover. And the Passover was God setting His people free from captivity in Egypt. And, and that setting His people free from captivity in Egypt, well, it was a, a battle between two competing forces. There's a reason that the central question of the Passover is this. Why is this night different from all other nights? And off of this one question, four other questions come. If you ever go to a Sadar meal, a Passover meal, a Paschal meal, they will ask, it's called the four questions, even though there are five questions. The first one kind of sets up the four questions. And it basically comes around. Why is this night different from all other nights? Matter of fact, well, Exodus describes it this way. Exodus tells us how you're supposed to celebrate the Passover. It says this, And when your children ask, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the house, houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. Passover is this remembrance that God said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, I don't know who Yahweh is. I don't recognize him. Pharaoh represented the gods of Egypt. In, in Egyptian theology, Pharaoh was the living representative of the God. And it was a battle between Yahweh and Pharaoh who did not recognize Yahweh. Yahweh said, I'm the one in control, and Pharaoh said, no. And Passover is this remembrance of that. And so Jesus is literally entering Jerusalem to prepare to remember the fact that Yahweh, his father, set his people free. What's not recorded in Scripture, but we know from history, is there was another entrance that was taking place at least during that week, quite possibly at the exact same moment that Jesus was entering. And that was the entrance of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, the Roman representative, would have probably entered Jerusalem from the west. And he, he was doing it for specific purpose. Romans were many things, but Dom is not one of them. And they understood what the Passover was about. The Passover was about the fact that the Israelites had been slaves under another people and their God had set them free. They understood that this celebration completely went against Roman authority. If God had set them free in Egypt, He could set them free again now, this time from Rome. And so what we know from historians is this. 
that, that Pontius Pilate would enter at the head of Roman power on a white steed, representing Rome, coming in and saying, you think your God is in control? We're going to show you who is in control. And he would have entered with all of his force to say, no, don't you start thinking that this is going to set you free. You can celebrate all you want. You can, you can uh, sacrifice those lambs. You can eat it at your house. You can remember this night where God set you free in Egypt. But he is not going to set you free here. Yahweh is not in control. We are. That's why this story is so interesting because while on one side, probably on the east is where Jesus is entering, one story is happening. On the other side, on the west, another story is happening. There are historians, John Dominic Crossan, who is not the most prominent uh, evangelical voice. He's a very, very liberal voice. Uh, he, he has a lot of doubts on a lot of different things, but he says that he is fairly sure that these entrances were happening at the exact same moment. I want you to think about that. Think of the power dynamic there. One person stands at the head of a column of power and force as the world understands it, and the other person looks like he is meek and mild and has no control whatsoever. But when you read the passion story, you see who is actually in control. The whole narrative is structured in such a way to remind us who is in control. We just read an example of this. Here, this is from the passage we just read. Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Jesus may have been riding on a colt. He may have been riding on a humble animal, but he was in complete control. Even when it looked like he was the victim, he was in control. If you doubt that, here's another one. This is not from the passage we just read. Uh, but uh, Pilate says this, Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? This is the one who would have been riding at the head of the column on a white stallion. And he says to Jesus, I have the power here. And what does Jesus say? He says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. Think about the, this passion story again and again. Jesus is not surprised by the one who betrays him. He proclaims it beforehand. Over and over in the passion narrative, it is point blank made clear, I am in control and that I is Jesus. Even at the end, he is the one who says when it is finished, not someone else. He says it is finished and then he dies. Over and over again, Rome says we are in control, but the story of the passion declares that Christ is in control. Why does this matter? Well, because there's so many things in our life where we have to deal with the fact that, that it looks like things are out of control and we want to lean into worldly power instead of leaning into Christ's weakness because it's hard to realize that His weakness is where ultimate power is. 
Paul says in, in the letter to the Corinthians, he says the following, he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Guys, we live in a world where we do not have control. Case in point. Parents, you know this. You know where the books tell you all the right things to do. And you can do all of that perfect. And you still have no control. Do you have a job? Well, we all know people who were doing their jobs well. We're moving up their ladders. And then suddenly a pandemic happens and they just lose their jobs. In this world, it seems like there is no control, but we have a God who in weakness demonstrates, I've got it. And that should be a blessing to you and I because it means it's not about our control. It's not about us saying, blessed am I. It's about saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everything around us says it has to be about our resources, our strength, our knowledge, our control. But we know that's not how it really works. There's a reason in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, Paul says about our sin, we don't even control it. We don't do the very thing we want to do, but instead we do the opposite. We do the thing that we do not want to do. If you gave up something for Lent, there's a really good chance you experienced that or you were doing really well. And then you stopped. That's why I love Palm Sunday. Because there are these two competing stories happening. One of obvious power that no longer exists. I mean, Rome exists as a city. But Italy is not the center of the world anymore, even though its influence still lasts. Italy is not the center of the world anymore. We had to bail them out a while back. <laughs> Guys, but Christ's power still lasts. If you looked at the front of the, uh, the bulletin today, you saw a quote from Napoleon Bonaparte, which, uh, Bonaparte, which I don't normally quote from, from uh, secular figures on there, but I loved his quote on this because he talked about how uh, these emperors had power, but it was just through sheer force. And Jesus has millions of people who would die for him just because of love. One of these individuals rode in power into Jerusalem, and his influence no longer lasts. The other rode in weakness, and in his influence will continue forever. I mention it every so often, but one of my favorite symbols of the Christian faith is an anchor, one of the earliest symbols, if not the earliest symbol. Because we live in a world of chaos, and the anchor reminds us that our faith in Jesus holds even when nothing else makes sense. That's something we can celebrate. The psalmist says it this way, he says, the Lord establishes His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. 
This is why the rocks will cry out. This is why Jesus says, if they stop, the rocks will cry out. This is why we celebrate, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Not because he comes in power that might diminish, but because his weakness is still in control. When you feel like you can't do anything, it's okay. Because he is still in control. So the rocks scream, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And that truly means that there will be peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, the easy thing is for us to go, well, these same people who proclaimed him to be king on Palm Sunday, on Palm Sunday were going to be shouting crucify. And they are. That is true. But you know who did not condemn them for shouting out, blessed is he who, is king in the, uh, who comes in the name of the Lord? It's Jesus. He understands our weakness. He understands we can't follow him on our own. Again, that's why it matters so much he's in control. Continually, we are like the father who has to pray, I believe, help me with my unbelief. We have to trust in Him even for our faith. That's why we celebrate today. So before I end with what I would suggest we do with this this week, does anybody have anything to add? Okay, then here's what I want you to do. I want to encourage you to take that palm leaf if it was not eaten by a little one. And I would like you to place it somewhere where you can see it throughout the week. And I want to encourage you that when you see it, to pray to yourself. Actually, you're praying to God, but you don't have to pray out loud. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that you remember that Jesus is in the midst of whatever circumstances you are. And I would also encourage you, if you're in a moment where you know you have no control, to pray, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because He is the God who has control, even when it looks like He doesn't, even when it looks like He's the victim, He is still completely in control. Would you join with me in singing our closing prayer? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. So, when you feel your anxiety, when you feel your doubt, when you feel your worry, when you are on your last nerve and that person around you that might be your young one or might be your spouse or might be your best friend suddenly decides that the best thing they can do is tap on that nerve again and again and again. When you face the struggle that you have faced since you've been born and you're like, I just don't know if I can stand it one more time. Remember that while you are not in control, 
he who comes in the name of the Lord is. And that truly brings peace. Have an absolutely wonderful week. I hope to see you on uh, Tenebrae on Good Friday night and uh, see you on Easter. Whether I see you here or you are on video, know that He comes for you. Have a great week.